0: Look for you, Jesus. We look for you even this morning to speak, speak, Lord. Your children, your family, your servants are listening. We pray in His name. Amen. Amen. Hey, again, just welcome. Great to be here with you guys. My name is Michael. Hope you feel welcomed. Uh, what I just did, which is a simple introduction, friendliness, right? I think there's a proverb, Phil Comer. You you taught me this when I was like your student, right? Actually, I think you made up this proverb. Was it a friendly person has many friends himself? Is that a real one? That's actually in the Bible. I couldn't tell. Everything you say just sounded like it could be from the Bible. So full of wisdom. So a friendly person has many friends himself. Go ahead and say hi to the people around you. Greet them. Tell them your name. Where you're from. Where you go to school. How many kids you have. Whatever it is. Say hello. You have two minutes though. So if you need it to rest stream or grab a coffee, you can do that. Head on back and we'll get into the teaching.
1: everybody. Welcome, welcome. Go ahead and grab your seats. It is so good to see you. Glad you made it. Uh, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the leaders here at Riverbend, and it's my honor to teach the scriptures this morning. So uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we just want to say thank you for your kindness to us and sending Jesus. And just like it's been prayed and sung already today, we just, we long for you. And right now we turn our affection towards you. And Lord, I just wanna ask very uh, plainly that you would help any distraction or anything that might be keeping us from hearing your word. I pray that you would silence those things. And that we would just get a true sense of who you are today. I pray that you would reveal your heart to us. And I pray that you would transform us. And Holy Spirit, as we often do, we just invite you to come again here. Not because we don't think you're already here or already residing in us. But just because we need to be awakened to the glory of your presence. And so, would you come? In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, so before we get started with the teaching, I have a quick announcement. Uh, my kids have asked that I strongly urge you to pray for snow on Christmas. <laughs> uh, and I know they're not the only ones who want to see snow on Christmas. Being a pastor, pastor's kid can have a few little drawbacks, but there are a few key advantages as well. And this is one of those. Um, they came to me, you know, if you're, if you're a parent, you know this. Like, my kids, they came to me this week, and they had that look in their eye like, Hey, we're going to ask you to like, go to Disneyland or something like that. So I was like setting up for the gentle no, and then they looked at me, and it was completely different. They're like, Dad, you think you could rally the church to pray for winter vibes? And I'm like, yeah, I can absolutely do that, which, by the way, is kind of my version of creating little monsters. They say your kids behave like they see you behaving, and my kids, I, I think it checks out because my kids are... Super stubborn. I uh, don't know where they get that. Uh, but then they're also like learning this beautiful art of calling a community to pray. I love, I'm kind of proud of them actually when I think about it. I wish they were praying for world peace, but you know, a white Christmas is not a bad place to start. So, uh, the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke. Week one of Advent, we studied Mary's song. Uh, week two, uh, Sam taught on Zechariah's song. By the way, I just want to say uh, thank you to Sam for leading and teaching last week. Uh, if, yeah, it was really good. Um, and if you were not here, Sam taught from his own life how he has experienced the peace of Jesus in unimaginable tragedy, and I know from personal experience how hard it is to, to get up in front of a, people, a group of people that you love uh, and, and share vulnerably from the heart like that, but um, it meant a lot to me. He did that courageously, and I know it was a blessing to many of you. So if you see him, thank him, because that takes a lot of courage and heart. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Okay, so today we're looking at Luke 2, and we're looking at the angels' song. There's all kinds of songs in the scriptures, and particularly here in the beginning of Luke. So Advent, uh, if you're unfamiliar or if you're new to this tradition, um, Advent's our way of responding to and standing against the commercialization of what are historically holy days, right? So the season is not just about like, scoring a great deal on a kitchen appliance, or like the festive color palette or whatever. It's about a person, or perhaps better said, it's about how God became human in the person of Jesus and how he brings joy to the world. And today we're examining that concept or that theme of joy. So what is his joy like? Is his joy for real or is it another empty promise And how do we receive that joy if it is for real? So those are the questions that the Lord wants to answer for us today. And I think they're super important because a lot like the first few themes of Advent, hope, and peace, joy is something it would seem is in short supply today in 2023. And maybe not for you. Maybe you walked into the room today just feeling super filled with joy, and that's amazing. But certainly for many people in the room and certainly many people around the world. And when I think about this Uh, concept or this theme of joy, I cannot help but think of our partners, Justice, Compassion, and Hope, which is a mission that exists to prevent sex trafficking in northern Brazil. And they do an incredible job with that. And I just, I'm always thinking about this theme as it relates to ministries like that. Sex trafficking, many of you know, is a $9 billion a year industry. Brazil has some of the highest rates of abuse in the world. In northern Brazil, where Ali and her team operate, uh, 62% of young women, sometimes girls as young as 7 years old, are victimized, either sexually abused or full-on trafficked, and some of them are trafficked repeatedly throughout their lives. So that is more than 6 out of 10 uh, girls being abused and trafficked, which to me, it's just like unimaginable oppression, dehumanization. In my view, it's like hell on earth. And this past year, I witnessed with my own eyes, uh, uh, this February, I went with Ali and Natalie and a few others, um, and we just were looking and, and seeing the work that God is doing, birthing a community, a community of joy in this hellscape of trafficking and everything else. So there is hope, and when we talk about Christmas... And we talk about these themes of hope, peace, and joy spreading to the world. That means it cannot just be privileged societies like ours. If it is joy to the world, then that means even places where extreme poverty and sex trafficking are affecting more than half of the human beings who are made in God's image, who are loved by him with the same intensity and passion that he loves you. So see, Christmas has got to be about more than just like, fill in a yard with inflatable reindeer. Although I'm like all about the winter vibes and proud of you guys for going after the holiday spirit or whatever. The advent of Jesus has to offer us more. It has to give us more than just that. And he does. So I want to go back to the announcement that the the, uh, angels made to the shepherds outside Bethlehem. It says this, I bring you good news that will cause great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Three statements. Good news of great joy for all people. I want you to try and picture with me the night sky outside Bethlehem that night. And those, uh, that night sky being completely filled with the heavenly host and the light of God's glory shining all around you. And then what I can only describe as like an eruption of praise and worship, like thunder from the angels in response to the good news that the Savior is finally here. See, Luke says that the shepherds were terrified at this. They fell on their faces at the whole experience because it was just so grand. But I think it makes complete sense. I mean, news like this can't be shared in an email. It's, right, it's going to come with a bit of fanfare, and the angels are showing up in full force. And the choir of angels are announcing this good news about Jesus is coming. Now, some of you are aware of one of my theories. I, I think I've got a lot of working theories right now. One of my theories is this. That the world's biggest bands have been trying to recreate that majesty and that wonder that sense of like uh, glory outside of Bethlehem that happened there on that special. Christmas Eve night, and a few of my friends actually just got back from seeing U2 at the Sphere in Las Vegas, and you guys have probably uh, read or seen about this by now. It's a multi-billion dollar venue with like 480,000 speakers and a completely immersive wraparound environment of 8K screens, right? So inevitably, like it's, the whole design, it's all meant uh, to create this concert experience that's unlike anything else in the entire world, and from my friend's point of view, it totally delivers, it's like next level, they described it as being like the most visually stunning evening of their lives. And it sounds amazing, it sounds incredible, I would love to go, Uh, I'm not crazy about Vegas in general, but I would love to go see that, it's very inspiring. But my theory is that the production company behind The Sphere and you 2 are all still kind of reaching for that matchless glory and majesty of God's Choir of Angels. That's being revealed to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. And that is something that is the glory of God, the majesty of God revealed through his choir of angels is unmatched in the cosmos. So the arrival of the king of kings requires this glorious unveiling. It requires a glorious unveiling. we're kind of living in a culture that likes to celebrate big unveiling. So another big unveiling that happened in 2007. You can find the video on YouTube. You probably, if you've been around long enough around River Bend, you probably already know where I'm going with this. But there was another big unveiling in 2007. And it is of Steve Jobs standing on a stage in Silicon Valley. And he's holding the world's first iPhone in his hand. You knew I just had to talk about this. I wasn't going to let this one go by. It's surreal to watch this video. You can, again, check it out on YouTube. Because it's such recent history, 2007, but it feels like such uh, distant history because of how much has changed in the world since this announcement. And the device that he's announcing is the reason why the world has changed so dramatically in such a short period of time. The other reason why I find it really surreal to watch is to see the spiritual significance that people are connecting with this invention and with this device. Jobs is essentially on the stage announcing a promise about a better future and a hopeful future, and everyone in the room is totally buying it. The video shows what I would hope to see in our churches when we're talking about the goodness of God. There are grown men and women in their business suits in the front row, shouting and applauding, even crying at the advent of the good news of iPhone. It's like a spiritual awakening kind of a moment in the room, which, of course, I'm a bit tongue-in-cheek here, but I'm not making a joke. This is exactly what happened. You could go back and watch the video. So I guess the question is, like, is that gonna deliver on the promise of joy, of hope, of peace, of life? Will these inventions, particularly the iPhone, will will it deliver in bringing us real joy? Or is that spiritual awakening premature? Now, knowing what we now know about um, being always on, always connected to the internet and social media and pornography and work email and the global news cycle and everything else, we know that the effects of those things on our emotional and spiritual health, um, it, it's, it's tragic. And so um, that exuberance and belief in iPhone in 2007 just kind of registers to me as a tragedy. Less than 20 years later, man, billions of iPhones have been shipped, even with the most optimistic take. These shouts of praise from 2007 in Silicon Valley were premature and the promise that a product can bring you joy is, again, empty. So is there a promise that really does deliver? Speaking of you 2 and Bono, um, I'm not off of him yet. Um, His song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, And I think it contains the best lyric of the last hundred years in all of music, which I know is saying something, and of course I would say that. I'm a pastor, right? Making a point about the failure of a secular gospel. But I want you to pay attention to this lyric from Bono. He says this, I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls, only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. To to me, these words are prophetic to our culture. Um, Bono's line of reasoning is anchored in the wisdom of Ecclesiastes that says, all is vanity under the sun, meaning if there is No God above the stars, so to speak, then all on earth is vanity. Or chapter 3, which says he has set eternity in the human heart. Or in the language of St. Augustine, who writes, our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. So in other words, the writers of the scripture and St. Augustine would say, I finally found what I'm looking for. So I'm not saying you need to get rid of your iPhone necessarily, but I am saying that giving your undivided attention to your technology, or what I sometimes like to say, kind of ironically, is abiding in your iPhone and trusting in it to find joy in life is at best a lost cause. At worst, it's worshiping a false God and wreaking havoc on your interior life. So I want to compare that with what the angels are announcing with Jesus's birth. Great joy. What is this great joy all about? What, and, and is it possible for us to obtain? So joy, of course, is a major motif throughout the Uh, whole scripture. For example, on page one of the Bible, we're introduced to a God who speaks the universe into existence. At the end of six days, he says... Everything that he's made is all very good. And if you were with us during our series through the book of Genesis, you know that what we're supposed to understand here about the first two pages of Genesis is that God has meticulously arranged the natural world to bring order and beauty so that we could all enjoy it. We could enjoy, most importantly, God in all of it. And we know that because it's in the name. It's the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Delight. And it was all about God welcoming us in to enjoy his divine hospitality. And that's our origin story. Again, we covered this at length in our Genesis series. But here in Bend, I think it's very easy to connect the dots there, to see just how beautiful of a place that we live. It's incredible. The beauty that God has in mind, the joy that we're meant to derive from that beauty is self-evident. All you need to do is spend a moment at Sparks Lake or at Tumalo Falls or listen to an amazing piece of music or eat a gourmet meal, and you will discover that the natural beauty around us is over the top by design, and that means that there is beauty where there doesn't have to be beauty. This is something that tells us something really remarkable about who our God is. There's beauty where there doesn't have to be beauty. And therefore, from a biblical perspective, that means that God's superlative—he's—he's—he's he's, he's, uh, an artist who makes incredible stuff for us to enjoy, to experience joy. And in the same breath, we are living outside of that place called Eden, and the world has been corrupted by rebellion and sin and the kingdom of darkness. And so now we're living in contested space where there is sex trafficking and extreme poverty, and war, and tech addiction, and many other evil things. So now, in order for us to have true joy, things need to be made right, and that's kind of the primary work of God in the Scriptures. It's what we call redemption. It's Him taking things that have been distorted and broken and making them right all over again. This is God's work in the world. And so, for us to have joy in the present, in this contested space we can actually still experience joy. And it's amazing to me that, that even with the evil and even with everything that we experience in life, some of what Sam talked with you about last week, some of what you are currently going through, I know that for, for me and my family right now, we're going through another season of deep g- loss and grief um, in our family. It's, it's tragic. And yet there is possibility for you and I to experience real joy. For example, I want to give you an example of this kind of true joy. This is a picture of a young woman in northern Brazil. Uh, her name is Marina, and you can kind of see it in her face here. You can see not just a smile, but deep into her eyes you can see actually joy there. You also see on the right-hand side, you see my friend Ali giving her the biggest of hugs. And you can see joy in her face. She is a victim of sex trafficking and she's still living in the developing world. Most of her conditions haven't changed. She's still living without modern conveniences. She has virtually nothing to her name, not even a decent pair of shoes. So how is it possible that someone like that can have joy? I think at least part of the answer is that my friend Ali from Justice, Compassion and Hope came to her in the name of Jesus and gave her an opportunity to work Not just kind of receive a handout, but actually an opportunity to work. And so now, instead of being forced to sell herself into the trade, she now has a legitimate form of income. It's very small, but it's a legitimate form of income uh, where she can now support herself. So her standard of living is still well beneath what any of us would consider to be a reasonable standard of living. But she has joy Not because God's redemption is complete, but because God's redemption has begun, and she believes that full redemption is on the way. And this is how we have joy in the present. It's not that we trust or believe that God's fullness has come, but that it is on its way. And I think we need this perspective, and this is exactly how the Old Testament describes joy, not in the completed sense of God's redemption, but in his promise to redeem and the taste of it that we experience in the present. For example, uh, Psalm 28, verse 7, says this, The Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust in him with all of my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. And I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The author of this psalm is King David, who got his start as a shepherd outside Bethlehem. And now the city is known as the city of David for reasons we talked about two weeks ago. But when he wrote this song, he had a long list of enemies who wanted to kill him. But his attitude is that the Lord is with me. The Lord is my protector. The Lord is helping me. And as I trust in him, he fills my heart with joy. A couple pages to the right, Psalm 105, it's a song of remembrance when Israel had been delivered from Egypt. And now they're just hanging out in the desert, basically. And here's what one of the poet-songwriters of Israel has to say. The, uh, he brought his people out, meaning out of slavery, with rejoicing his chosen ones with shouts of praise. So the salvation of God in an evil moment brings shouts of joy. So when we see God at work, that fills our heart with joy because you can see that God's redemption is on the horizon. See, joy is an act of faith in uh, what God has promised to do. Later in the Old Testament, just one more Old Testament reference. Um, this is another historic low point in the story of God. And um, this is what the scripture has to say. Um, Israel had been unfaithful to God, and so they were hauled out into exile. And Isaiah the prophet tells of a better time to come. In verse chapter fifty one, verse eleven, it says this: "Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them." And sorrow and sighing will flee away I love that word picture of everlasting joy crowning the heads of those who trust in God and sorrow having to flee at the advent of God's redemption so there is a promise of better days ahead and that is what we are clinging to and in the words of Mary treasuring deep within our hearts treasuring deeply within our hearts Notice that joy and singing are connected inseparable often in, in the scriptures, which I love so here 's where we 've been so far when it comes to joy. Joy is an attitude meaning it 's a disposition that we uh, have in our hearts it 's the enjoyment of the good that we get uh, with with God and the stuff that he 's made so you can have joy in very simple things, things like a good book or good music or your relationships or a fun party or beautiful landscape, and like a bunch of other things that you just plainly enjoy. And because we are made in the image of God with eternity in our hearts, joy becomes more full when we connect it back to our relationship with our creator. But also, according to the scriptures that we've been reading, it's not just an attitude. Joy is also a choice that's made by faith in the promise of God. A a, a choice made by faith in the promise of God. In the words of Tim Mackey, he, he, he says this, joy is an attitude that God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So again, joy is about choosing to anticipate our future redemption, not just remaining stuck in our present circumstances. And again, this is a major repeated exhortation or encouragement, if you like, in the New Testament as well. For example, in, uh, in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, while in prison, writes several different times in several different ways to rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. We have joy because we're trusting in God's end game. And my failure and my tragedy, my sadness does not have the final word. Now, the shocking reality of Luke 2 that we're celebrating at Christmas is that real redemption that's been on the horizon and that we've been hoping in is arriving with the person of Jesus. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. In other words, the wait is over. The one who brings you joy to the whole world is now finally here. And then conversely, like the angst that we feel about the stuff that's not right is being made right through this savior. And that has caused for you and I to rejoice. And our experience tells us that yes, there is a lot of evil and pain and brokenness in the world, but there's also this persistent joy because of the promise of God. And this is what we've been celebrating at Christmas and we celebrate every year at Christmas. And my hope, this is my hope for for you and I um, as followers of Jesus, is that we wouldn't just hear these words, look at these scriptures and go, yeah, when a wave of joy hits me out of nowhere, then I'll be filled with joy. But to actually cultivate joy in our life by practicing the way of Jesus together, and this is what we see when we, when we see Jesus for who he actually is, and, 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 and it's revealed to us the glory of Christ, what it does is it produces in our hearts just a overwhelming sense of his goodness and the glory that comes with knowing him. And I think, I think that there's, here's another one of my theories. I've, I've given you lots of theories today, but here's another one. Um, is that I I think that in our culture, uh, Pacific Northwest, some of our West Coast pretension is getting in the way of our true worship of God. And I say that gently without lots of judgment or anything like that. I'm definitely very German. I can't sing. I don't dance ever. Uh, But when it comes to my worship of God, I want my worship of God to reflect the real joy in my heart that I have for what God has done for me. And you can tell from your reading of the scripture that this is what worship was like, For certainly for the shepherds, certainly for the writers of the Psalms. The shepherds were not like measured and collected and dispassionate about uh, the angel's announcement. They fell to the ground in awe, the scripture tells us. And then when they regained their composure, they left their sheep, they left their livelihoods to be stolen or ravaged by predators so that they could get their eyes on the king of the world. So if Jesus is who the angels say he is, then he's worthy of all of our attention and all of our devotion. And I think that that needs to work its way out into our worship and our praise. Extravagant worship and praise. All you have to do is go to Latin America. Go down to Brazil. Ali would be happy to take you. And you can see what real like extravagant worship looks like in Latin cultures. Come on. I love that. So not only does Jesus bring joy, he's also a person of joy. And we can follow his example. Look at Luke 10. It says, at the time, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. So he he's, he's, uh, brings joy to us, but he's also an example of joy for us to follow. Um, we want to be that kind of person too. So he redeems. He's a person of joy, example to follow. And finally, he gives us a pattern uh, so that we can actually practice joy ourselves. So again, let me state this very clearly, because I think sometimes when it comes to things that we've categorized as emotions, that we just kind of expect emotions to to come or to hit us like a wave. And some of that is true. Sometimes you just feel joy. But also, it's not just an attitude. It is a virtue that we cultivate. It is a virtue that we cultivate. And Jesus shows us how to do this through practice. And, and there's many different places you can find this throughout Scripture, um, but my favorite example of how we learn to cultivate a virtue of joy is um, by Jesus uh, in his teaching in the Upper Room Discourse right before he was arrested. and and taken to the cross. He taught his disciples one last time. It's an amazing teaching from Jesus in John chapter 13 through 17. And in that teaching, he shares with them the metaphor of the vine and the branches. And uh, you've you've heard this uh, many times before, especially if you've been coming here to Riverbend, but I wanna read it for you one more time. It says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I'm on the record saying that I think this is the most basic, fundamental secret for you enjoying God's presence and cultivating that attitude of joy, is learning to abide with him. Abiding is learning to be present and connected with him moment by moment in every area of your life, in every day of your life. Um, Scholars tell us that uh, when Jesus used the metaphor of the vine and the branches was probably intentional in this way, because a healthy vine, uh, you can't really tell where the branch ends and the vine begins. They're so interconnected and intertwined that it's impossible to separate them and to tell where they depart. And so I I think that's exactly what God is saying about us. He wants us to be so connected with him that it would be inseparable, indistinguishable where he ends and you begin. And then a few verses later, he continues. He says, as the fathers loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. It's the same verb, same idea. Remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So uh, love and obedience are the foundation of this relationship that you have with God. Fidelity to God is how you answer God's love to you and love him back, that's a sermon for another time, but when we receive his love and we're faithful to his commands, then here's the promise. Here's what comes right after that. This is what we've been kind of leading up to. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So let's compare that with the temptation that we have to abide. In our iPhones or our technology. When you abide in your tech, yeah, what you produce, the fruit that you grow, is anxiety. It's comparison. It's busyness. It's lust. It's many other things like that. But when you abide in Jesus and his words abide in you, your joy will be made complete. That's the promise. Now, we like to press into these promises because um, it's easy for us to let these words go in one ear and out the other. But a promise is not, it's not a promise, by the way, that I'm making to you. It's a promise that God has made to you. And so therefore, if he's, if he's made a promise, then we can count on him to fulfill that promise. And here at Riverbend, we're just all about living into what God has said is possible for us. We don't want to leave anything on the table that he says is yours or mine because we shy back from it. So we wanna lean into his promise. And I'm gonna show you, we're gonna actually close today um, by, by practicing what we're talking about here and actually cultivating joy in our hearts together. Um, but I want to just share with you very quickly something that you can do every single day in order to cultivate this kind of virtue in your life. So it's the attitude that you sometimes get. Your attitude kind of ebbs and flows. That's just kind of how it, how it happens. But then there's a virtue that you can cultivate. I want to give you a few really simple basic steps for how you can do that, okay? So here's how you cultivate joy. Number one, give thanks. Give thanks. Choosing to thank God in whatever season of life that you're in, this is an exercise that grows your faith. I have already mentioned that Paul gave thanks to God while in prison. And this is not to take away from anything that you're going through. And I know some of the stories here in the room and how tragic they are and what you're experiencing is excruciating. It is possible to choose instead, direct your mind to give thanks to God, like Paul does. Uh, another example of this is profound in the scriptures for me is Hebrews chapter 10, 24. It says that the early Christians, check this, joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. That's not figurative, that's, that's what actually happened. The Romans came through, seized their property and their food, left them, their harvest, left them with the leftovers, and the author of Hebrews says that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Now, I'm pretty sure, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that's not one of the verses that your grandmother crocheted and hang, hung on the dining room uh, of her house growing up. Because America's more of a, like, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts kind of society, <laughs> which is fine. But, but, but it's also a shame when we don't read the entire, the whole counsel of God's word and, and consider this. Because if you finish that passage, you'll see how and why the early Christians were, possessed the power to be persecuted with joyful hearts. Because they were convinced, we're told, that they were inheriting a more enduring possession of eternal glory. That's what's coming. And so they were willing to be persecuted and accept unfair treatment, the plundering of their property, because they had this enduring hope of an eternal, glorious inheritance that's coming. And you can possess that assurance too, but it's predicated on your daily choice to be thankful to God. So we've talked about this as a posture and attitude. Now we're also talking about it as a practice. Your attitude's going to ebb and flow, but it practices your conscious choice to cultivate joy with your actions. There's a difference, and we can lean into it. So here's the action. The action is this, very, very basic, but every morning before you reach for your iPhone, just leave it in the drawer for at least 10 or more minutes. Wake up some other way, and give your first word and your first moment of every day of your life to thanking God, being grateful to God, and just a Take stock of what you are actually thankful for and give it some time to really do it thoughtfully and tell God thank you. When this is your daily habit, here's what I've found and others who I really admire and respect have also had a similar experience. When your daily habit is to give your first word and your first breath and your first moment of your day, to giving thanks to God, you begin to naturally resist the temptation to be discontent with the life that you do have, and or the, excuse me, the life that you don't have, and then you can receive as gift the life that you do. I think this is also the cure for grumbling and complaining, and it's the beginning of experiencing joy. Whatever season you're in is choosing to be grateful to God. And number two, that's number one, give thanks. Number two, draw near to God in prayer. I told you it was going to be simple. It's really simple. Um, but the scripture reveals Christ as a joy filled being, a joy filled person. So how do you become joyful? Well, you walk very closely with him. You're connected to him in prayer, the abide concept, right? Um, when we draw near to God in prayer, we can expect his character traits, his personality to begin to Form and take shape in us so after your moment of gratitude that you're going to have every morning with your iPhone still tucked away or for those of you who still have Androids I have a few friends who have Androids makes grip text difficult but um, leave the onslaught of bad news and the day's tasks in the drawer for a little while longer and just be with God three to five minutes of silence more if, if you can manage that We're not doing is, we're not asking God for things. We're not getting into the litany of things that we want Him to change. We're just paying paying attention to Him in His presence. And the momentum of that first choice that you make in the morning keeps rolling into the rest of your day. Don't underestimate the power of your first choice every single morning. And the momentum begins to build as you start your day abiding. It's much easier to keep abiding in him or abiding in whatever else you chose to give your first moment and your first breath to. And finally, this is the last one. Be really selective about what you fill your mind with. See, life is super complex. Our hearts and minds are super complex, but... Putting things like this into practice doesn't need to be complex, it can stay really simple. This is just like having a healthy habit. This is what like every nutritionist would tell you ever about your diet, is if you put garbage in, you get garbage out, you won't feel well if you're not eating well. And so the same is true with our heart and minds, not just our bodies, but our heart and our minds. Like if you want to experience real joy, then you need to be really picky and selective about what you put into your mind. The very same breath that Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. The very same breath, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Like put that kind of thing into your minds. Of course you can do this with a Netflix account and an iPhone, but you do have to be really careful and you do have to be ruthless about how you edit and what you curate in your mind and in your heart. And this is an an invitation for you and I to pay attention to the things of God, to eliminate the things that don't belong and to press in deeper to the presence of, 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 of Jesus, and this is what we're celebrating at Christmas. It's also the thing that we're cultivating during this month. You wanna launch into 2024, right? You wanna have healthy habits, right? You wanna be closer to Jesus. You wanna experience true joy even when your circumstances are going haywire. Yes, absolutely, we want those things to be true. we well, give thanks, draw near to God in prayer, and be super picky about what you fill your mind with. Now, um, we often say here at Riverbend that we don't want to just have a a big talk where we say we believe the things in the scriptures. We want to actually practice them and we want to actually teach you to practice them as well. So as we close today, I want to actually lead you through a short prayer rhythm where we actually practice cultivating joy together. You guys game for that? All right, let's do this together. Would you stand with me? And let's take in a nice deep breath and exhale. Inhale one more time and exhale. And now we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? I encourage you to close your eyes, to open your hands in a posture of receiving. Forgive me if this feels out of the norm for you or it's a bit uncomfortable, certainly not our intent to alienate you or make you feel weird. Our intent is to simply claim God's promise and live into his promise. He said, he was the one who said that he is close to us. He is the one who said to abide in his love. And we are just simply saying, yeah, we're going to give our full attention to that and to him right now. Holy Spirit, come. And now what I want to encourage you to do is just to redirect your mind. Pay attention, first of all, to what's just coming up. What did you walk into, here, into this room today with? You could be in a great spot um, and you're just like already there. You're like, Andrew, I'm filled with joy. Can we get after that? And that's great. That's awesome. But you could also just um, be bringing a lot of emotional pain or a sense of loss, or brokenness in, in your life in some way, shape or form. Or maybe you're feeling guilt or shame around a pattern of sin or a lifestyle that you want to be done with, but you're still kind of stuck in or something like that. And so the possibility of joy sounds really nice, but it doesn't seem very realistic because of what you're going through. Just pay attention to those things. Careful not to criticize yourself or judge yourself, just notice them. And now what we wanna do is just redirect our minds off of that, off of the feelings of brokenness and of shame and of guilt. And certainly not to just sweep them under the rug or pretend like they're not there, but to consciously turn our attention and turn our minds back to God. And so I encourage you now to do that, just like, the, just like the scripture teaches us to do, to turn our eyes to Jesus. For some of you, it might be really helpful to just imagine, picture in your mind's eye what you think the throne room of God is like and just imagine yourself coming to the Lord. Holy Spirit, come. And notice what begins to shift in your heart. As you move from off of those worries, those thoughts, those feelings that you walked in here with, and as you turn your gaze and your attention to the Lord Jesus. Give thanks you can do this to yourself um, just quietly under your breath or you can do it out loud either way it's great with us but just tell God that you're thankful that you're grateful for him and what he's done how he sent Jesus For some of you, I know it can be difficult to have a few moments of quiet next to people you barely know or something like that. It feels a bit uncomfortable and that's okay. Maybe just return to your breathing deeply in and out and turn your attention back to God and give thanks. Now I want you to just remember Mary's words that she treasured up all of these things in her heart. And that's what we wanna do right now is just treasure the nearness, the goodness, the gift of God through Jesus and treasure it up deep within us. You know, one of the symptoms of touching an object, a, a device, our phones, over a thousand times a day. It, it, we create this unhealthy attachment, this un, unhealthy connection to that technology. And, of course, you know that psychologists have said that that creates all kinds of emotional disorders and psychological, psychological disorders. And this exercise is essentially going against the grain of that and actually saying, you know what, my phone, I can live without my phone. I can live without it being uh, always on. But I can't live without the presence of God. I need him. So I just want to pray this over you as a church. God, you're the one who said that you have rushed to earth. You have come to earth. You have met us through Jesus. And you have said that we can be constantly connected to your spirit. So God, was we come close to you, this is in a world of noise and where we don't stay put for any length of time, we are standing here in solidarity and reaching out to you and saying, God, would you come close to us? Like you promised, would you draw near? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. encourage you to just pay attention to what's changing in your spirit and in your heart as you do this. Notice that angst subside and notice the peace of God come to you. As you continue to direct your mind to him, notice also just his his joy coming to you as well. just, I'm just moved right now, Um, and uh, trust me, I know what it's like to be on your end of this thing, to be standing in a row and being like, is he going to say amen already, and can we get on with it? I've been there, so I'm, I'm not trying to hijack this morning for you. But I just am sensing that, that even there, even today, there's like a few of us who Are maybe a little bit uh, we're resisting a bit. And notice how God isn't a bully; He isn't forcing His way into your life. But there is this persistent call, this invitation, to respond to His love, to answer His love, to cry back out to Him as He has reached out to us and so I just want to encourage you if if you're kind of on, on the fence about the sentimentality or the emotionality of this experience I just want to pastor you through that and say it's okay to have questions it's okay to, to feel the mystery and the abstract it's also okay to say, yeah, there's a lot I maybe don't understand about the glory of God's presence, but I want everything that I can possibly take from Him. I want to receive everything that I can possibly receive from Him. So the invitation is to simply receive. Say, yes, I want you, Lord. Would you come close to me, God? we're going to to transition from this moment of response into another rhythm of worship where we come to the tables of communion and we sing in response to god's goodness and love by giving him praise and glory and adoration and so god we we say amen and we move to the next moment but but we want to stay connected to you and be drawn even deeper into your presence So we love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for engaging in that experience, however you felt comfortable doing it. If you want to uh, receive prayer, maybe you heard something or felt something or experienced something during that time of prayer that's a bit foreign to you and you're not really sure what to do with it, we would love to talk with you about that. I'm gonna be standing right up here. We also have a team that's gonna be praying in the back. If you want to pray for any reason, we're just, we're here for you. And we want to help you make that connection with the Lord Jesus. And with that, we're going to move on to to sing. um, And the team's going to lead us in a few songs of worship. And then also while we're singing this next song, please come forward to grab the bread and the cup. And we'll take it together as one big church here in just a moment. God bless you.